We will begin reading there, Mark 14, verse 53. This passage picks up immediately where we left off last week. It is late on Thursday evening, Passover evening. Jesus has already been betrayed, and he has been arrested and is now being led away to a very unusual nighttime trial before being crucified the next morning. He will be crucified at 9 a.m. So within six hours, this is probably at midnight, within six hours the Lord will be hanging on a cross. So follow along with me this morning, beginning at verse number 53 in Mark 14. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly, 
you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Lord, we ask the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon this reading of your precious word. Do what no man can do. Reach into the hearts of those gathered here under these four walls and a roof in a very special and even unusual way this morning. Bring us to this place in the courtyard of the high priest. Let us behold our Savior. Let us behold our sin. We ask it in His name. Amen. Over the the past few years in our culture here in America, there has been considerable attention given to the reality of injustice. Injustice. And regardless of how we may evaluate the alleged injustices that have brought so much unrest to our nation, there is no denying that injustice does occur. Individuals and even entire people groups are at times wrongly accused and unjustly treated. Perhaps you have been wrongly accused and unjustly treated here this morning. We could talk at length about all the various injustices throughout human history. But I want us to focus on one particular injustice this morning, and that is the one that we find here in Mark 14. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, has been arrested. And now the finite creature will sit or rather stand in judgment over the infinite creator. Now just let that sink in for a moment. The finite creature that is you and me will stand in judgment over the infinite creator. The epitome of holiness and righteousness is now standing trial before men whose hearts were filled with only hypocrisy and self-righteousness. 
Jesus has been taken to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Peter has followed from a distance and is watching from the courtyard. So let's go together by faith now on this Lord's Day in the 21st century back to this scene here in Mark 14. And let us watch the Lord Jesus endure the very worst injustice this world has ever seen. It the worst it ever will see. The first thing that we find here in these verses is that Jesus is falsely accused by many. He is falsely accused by many. Notice in verse 53 that Mark says that all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, look at his language here, all of them, came together, and again in verse 55, that the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. The motive is clear. There is no question about what they wanted to do. They wanted Jesus dead. This was an all-in effort by the religious leaders of Israel, what we know as the ruling council called the Sanhedrin, the elders, the priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all of them together trying to get rid of this Galilean rabbi named Jesus, who had so upset the status quo of the religious life of Israel. So they plotted with his treacherous disciple Judas to arrest him in the garden, and now... He is being brought to trial in the dark of night. And already, everything happening here is at best irregular and at worst illegal. Because Jewish legal code required that a trial, number one, could not be held on the eve of a holy day, which it was, It could not be held at night, which it was. (laughs) And that witnesses for the accused must be present, which they were not. This whole trial was a sham. Look at verse 55. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found None. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build it up, build build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. So whatever witnesses the Sanhedrin could round up in the middle of the night, they they presented contradictory testimony. They couldn't even find a happy medium. 
And they even misquoted and misrepresented the words of Jesus. In John chapter 2, verse 19, he says this. This is Jesus speaking. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? Verse 21 of John 2. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. So what Jesus actually said was not at all what they said that he said. Anybody know what it's like to have your words twisted to mean something that you didn't mean? That's bearing false witness. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus here on trial. Seven times Mark uses the Greek root for witness. It's martus. It's where we get our word martyr. Seven times he uses that root word here in this passage. And none of the witnesses could agree. So do you think that Mark is trying to show us something here in, about this case against Jesus? I think he is. He's trying to show us that this was a show trial. It was a farce. It was illegal. It was fake, unreliable, deceptive. But even so, it wasn't still quite working out like the religious leaders had hoped (laughs) because even their witnesses couldn't agree to condemn Jesus because their testimony was contradictory. And so seeing the trajectory of this fake trial, Caiaphas, the high priest, steps in and he presses the right button. Look at verse number 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and he made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you... The Christ, the Son of the Blessed, the Son of God. After this false case begins to fall apart, Caiaphas finally gets to the issue, is Jesus who he claims to be? And that's really the issue still today, isn't it? Friends, it will always be the issue for unbelieving man. Jesus may be a prophet. He may be a great teacher. He may be a model of moral, morals and ethics. He may even be your own personal higher power. But is he the eternal incarnate son of God who calls all of us man, woman, boy, and girl, to repentance? Is he 
the eternal incarnate Son of God who calls us to believe His gospel is He, as He claimed earlier that night in the upper room, the way, the truth, the life, that no one can come to the Father except through Him. Is He that man? That's what Caiaphas is asking him. Are you the Son of God? In verse 62, Jesus says it as clear as day. Two words. I am. Brothers and sisters, you may meet skeptics in our culture today who tell you that Jesus never actually claimed to be the Son of God. In fact, there are many false claims about Jesus out there. All you have to do is consult Professor Google, or Rabbi Google, as our brother Harvey likes to say. Rabbi Google, Professor Google, Dr. Google. You know who I'm talking about. You'll find them all. But in this life or death moment, before the Jewish ruling council, Jesus does not shy away from the question. He does not backtrack on who he says he is. He does not start trying to make any qualification or add nuance to his claim. He just answers, I am. You know, this is how Yahweh identified himself to Moses as the one true and living God of Israel in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. He said, I am that I am. I am the being one, the one who is. And Jesus says here, I am. I am the Son of God. I am the Son of the blessed. This is a direct claim to divinity by Christ, and Caiaphas is outraged. I imagine we can picture his outrage. We've seen enough of that in our day, haven't we, by unbelievers when confronted with the truth. They're just outraged. Verse 63, and the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? What else needs to be said? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him. And to cover his face and say, prophesy, tell us, who hit you? The guards, Mark says, received him with blows. Now friends, keep in mind, these are the religious leaders of Israel. And their hatred of Christ has now spilled over 
into violence against him. But you know what? Jesus doesn't just affirm his identity as God's son, does he? He just doesn't say, I am. He says more. <laughs> Look at verse 62. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. There is no question now about who he claims to be. Have you ever tried to convince someone about something, but no matter what, they just won't believe you? And finally, you just break down and say, okay, all right, just wait. Just wait, you'll see. That's kind of what we see Jesus doing here. I am who I said I was, and wait. You will see. One day you will see the Son of Man coming in clouds, seated at the right hand of power. His statement, it has an eschatological flavor to it. The Apostle John writes in Revelation 1-7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him even those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. So Caiaphas and the religious leaders of Israel will one day lay their eyes again on the one that they rejected and condemned to death. In fact, friends, this day is coming for all of us. And there are many today who still put the Lord Jesus on trial in their hearts. He's still on trial. They don't believe his claims, they don't believe that he was divine, they don't believe that he rose from the dead. Some don't even believe that he ever existed. They think he's just a myth. And even many who claim to know him, they misrepresent. They twist his word to fit their own worldview and their own lifestyle. Friends, look no further than the so-called progressive Christian movement. And there are many claims that among others, that Jesus would never condemn same-sex marriage or that Jesus preached a gospel of tolerance and inclusion or that Jesus himself was, as we say today, woke. But in spite of all of these false claims, Jesus is who he is says He is. And one day there will be a reckoning for all those who reject Him and twist His words. Paul Washer. If you know anything about Paul Washer, you know it's serious if I'm quoting Paul Washer. 
Paul Washer says this, When you reject Christ, know this, God will deal harshly with you for your arrogance against His Son. God will deal harshly with you for your arrogance against His Son. Jesus is falsely accused by many. But secondly, we see here in this passage that He is shamefully denied by one. Look at verse 54. And Peter had followed Him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Skip down to verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. I have no clue what you're talking about, girl. That's what he's saying. I've actually said that to my wife many times. I don't even know what you're talking about. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Verse 69, and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. I know him. I've seen him with him. Verse 70, but again he denied it. Peter denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again began to say to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. So Peter now was following the Lord at a distance. He's trying to stay warm on this chilly night in Jerusalem. This is probably March, perhaps April. And I often wonder what is going through his mind while he's by the fire. Thought that? What's Peter thinking? in light of all the events that have already transpired this night. We'll never know. But he is spotted by a servant girl of the high priest who recognizes him as having been with Jesus, but Peter denies knowing him. And he relocates to get away from her. But she sees him again. <laughs> and she starts telling everybody in the courtyard about Peter, who he is. And again, Peter denies that he ever knew Jesus. Second time. But his Galilean accent and mannerisms must have given him away. Because one of the bystanders says, wait, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean.
And then Peter's denial of the Lord reaches its infamous climax. Verse 71. But he began to invoke a curse on himself. And to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. The implication in the original language is that Peter may have even possibly began to invoke God's name. Verse 72. And immediately, this is one of Mark's favorite words. I've said it for months now. Circle every time you see immediately. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows Twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. I don't care if you're five years old, 10 years old, 25, 35, 105, your attention should be arrested by this text right now. Peter denied the Lord three times. Mark says he broke down and wept. Friends, imagine the scene. This grown man, a strong man, a brave man, a fighter even. He had just pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of a a man in the Garden of Gethsemane who came with the mob to arrest Jesus. This man of men, now crushed and broken in tears under the weight of guilt and sorrow. He is a man's man, Peter is. He's not wearing skinny jeans. He's not got the man bun going on. He is a man's man. And here he is in a puddle of tears and grief. Luke, in his gospel account, records an additional detail that I want us to Take a moment and consider this morning. This is Luke 22, verse 61. Luke twenty-two sixty-one. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, 
how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Oh, my. Friends, imagine the piercing gaze of those innocent eyes as Peter sunk under the weight of his sin. Do you feel them on you this morning? The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and he is turning and looking at us. Every one of us. But if we know anything about Jesus, we know that this was not a look of judgment. No, it was not a look of judgment. This was not an I told you so look. This was not a how could you, Peter, look. (laughs) No. Because these were the same eyes that in just a matter of hours would look up into heaven from Calvary's cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This was the look of grace that Peter saw that night. As if the Lord were saying with his eyes, Oh, Peter, I know. I know. But I love you. I will forgive you. I will restore you. Friends, do you see yourself in Peter here? Do we see our own faith, faithless, faithlessness to the Lord? Our own denials of Him? Do we feel His penetrating eyes that sink our hearts under the heavy weight of our sin? Or do we hear these words and they roll off of our hearts? Do we weep bitterly in repentance? Has the rooster crowed in our lives? Or do we just keep living with that casual attitude of sin, towards sin? Friends, godly sorrow over sin is the defining mark of sincere repentance. That leads to restoration and transformation. But if you leave here this morning only thinking about what a horrible sinner you are, then I have failed 
to do my job. If you leave here thinking what a wretch you are, do not write me a check. Because you must leave here with the forgiving gaze of Jesus Christ locked upon the eyes of your heart. No matter what you've done or who you have become, He will look upon you with grace and He'll wash you clean. Are you a sinner this morning? Are you a six-year-old sinner, a 12-year-old sinner, a 90-year-old sinner, a 50-year-old sinner? I have good news for you. Jesus died for sinners. But will you come to Him in repentance? (laughs) Will you feel the weight of your crushing guilt driving you to tears? Will you come to Him naked of your own righteousness, stripped of all goodness? And confess your sin. It doesn't matter how long you've professed to know the Lord. I know we have some saints in here who have been in this building for decades. It doesn't matter whether this is your first Sunday or your 300th Sunday. I want to call us all to a place of fresh repentance. I want us all to see the Peter in us this morning. Or perhaps the Caiaphas in us this morning. If you have never trusted in Christ, friends, confess your sin and do it today. If you need personal revival... I need it. I I need personal revival. If you need personal revival, come to Christ today. Lock eyes with Him. He's here. Come to Christ today. I want to I want to open up a time of prayer. If you feel compelled to come and pray up front, we have plenty of space here. I have memories of being in church and people just laying prostrate before the Lord. Face down on the carpet. Hands spread out. If you want to come up here and pray, or if you want me or someone else to pray with you, I'll be here. You know that walking an aisle will not save you. It will not make your prayer any more sincere. But it's open. If you want to get alone in a corner... 
and do business with God, you are welcome to come. This is how we're going to end the service. We're not going to sing together. We're going to pray. I want to encourage you to linger as long as you want. Let's pray.